Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today is October 9th, 2023, and I'm joined in studio by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And today, Dr. Matthews, you want to talk with us about four strikes and you're out. Yes. The uh, sudden return of multiple labor union strikes going on at the same time. Right. We've got at least four going on here, and I'll mention one other in England. Mm -hmm. But yes, uh, as our listeners, I'm sure know, United Auto Workers are on strike. They've got 25,000 workers on strike right now. That's been a partial strike as they've been moving along. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's it's not your standard old-fashioned strike, but it's like they're just, they're targeting specific plants, right, for just a a few days. And not just the plants, but also some of the supply chain elements in there that provide the plants and Mm -hmm. so forth. So it's been a very targeted strike. And there were, there, the news out recently was that they might have made a little bit of progress, but Sean Fain, the uh, uh, president of the UAW, may call even more people to go out on strike. So that's one. So that's the UAW. And then we've got the Screen Actors Guild, AFTRA. That was 11,500 writers, but also 160,000 actors mm-hmm. on strike. And then I think the uh, uh, the Screenwriters Guild has sort of come to a, a decision. They've come to an agreement, but that doesn't take care of the Screen Actors Guild. Right. Then with the flight attendants and pilots. Now, American Airlines at the end of August, the flight attendants for American Airlines voted 99.47% of them to approve a strike if they can't come up with some kind of agreement sometime soon. So they're not on strike, but they've approved the, they started the mechanism for a strike if they want to. And then just recently, 75,000 workers, Kaiser Permanente workers, healthcare workers, have gone on strike. That's primarily in California, Colorado, Washington, and Oregon. But I understand that in Virginia and Washington, D.C., some of them went out on strike for a day. The Kaiser Permanente strike, these 75,000 workers are on a three-day strike. I think they're coming back on Saturday. Uh, they came back on Saturday. So, yes, there you've got four different groups major strikes out there, and it's becoming a bit of a problem out there just because of all the strikes that are going on. So the so the obvious question is, why now? You know, yes. what, what are the factors that are leading these various labor unions? Because labor unions over the past several decades have lost a lot of their power. They Not have. as much of the economy is as unionized as it used to be, et cetera, et cetera. So why why are they um, why are they all filled with uh, vim and vigor now to to come out and be aggressive? Well, to your point, you know, we mentioned the Screen Actors Guild and the a- uh, the actors and writers, but the, uh, the issue there is even though that was one hundred and sixty thousand actors, this is a fairly small or the seventy five thousand people at Kaiser Permanente, fairly small in the history of uh, of strikes in the U.S. The last major strike. 1997, UPS went on strike. That was 185,000 people going on strike. In 1970, the United Postal Service went on strike. That was 200,000 people going on strike. That was mostly, I think, the mail carriers. Uh, 1959, uh, the steel strike, that had 500,000 people. And in 1946, United Mine Workers went on strike. That was 480,000 people. So huge numbers back then. And, of course, much smaller populations. So that was a much bigger percentage of the uh, 
of the workforce going on strike. Yeah, plus we just don't have that many steel workers now or mine workers that right. we, than we used to back then. Those are just smaller industries now in the U.S. than they used to be. So to your point, what's driving this? Well, of course, the first thing I think is inflation. Uh, they uh, inflation's high, and these people have union contracts, and they want the union they want their contracts to sort of cover inflation. If it sticks around, if we have sticky inflation, they want these union contracts going on for some time. So they want to make sure they get in now while the getting's good, yeah. and get a get major raises now with a guarantee of increases over the next several years. So so economically at at the moment you have um, high interest rates and you have persistent inflation. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that has an impact on people's, on people's lifestyle, on the amount of disposable income that they have. And, you know, it may be that the one thing you think you may have control over is to be able to force an increase in your pay or ask for an increase in your pay or something like that. And that goes back to something we talked about a couple of podcast episodes ago, which is like the wage price spiral, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, you have inflation, now you need your wages to go up just to stay even, but increasing your wages actually helps to contribute toward more inflation and higher prices, mm-hmm. and it just can become a sort of an out-of-control spiral. You know, I think several years ago, I think you and I were talking to a company, and they had to rely on UPS, and UPS was looking at going on strike or had just gone on strike, and we, we were talking about this, and they said, oh, well, the point about it is, they said their contract would be coming up in a year. And they wanted to make sure they got this in, but they also wanted to make sure they got increases coming up for several years in the future. Mm -hmm. So it's not just an increase today. And most of these, they're looking at contracts that try to ensure they're going to have significant increases going on. And if inflation is sticky as it looks like it is right now, that may be a wise pattern. On yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think we think that inflation in the economy is probably almost certainly the main factor, but mm-hmm. we should also acknowledge that there are some other contributing factors too. One of them is is technological change. Yes. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Hollywood writers have seen their business totally disrupted by streaming services. Mm-hmm. They don't make the same kind of royalties on reruns that they used to make. They're worried about artificial intelligence being used to displace writers. And so part of their deal was insisting on like a minimum number of writers in a writer's room and all those sorts of things. And so, of course, you've got the United Auto Workers who are concerned about electric cars exactly. coming, electric vehicles coming in, which don't take as many workers in most cases yeah. and are they going to be out of a job then as if Ford and GM and Stellantis expand on these electric vehicles which the White House and Democrats are essentially forcing them to do mm-hmm. and funding them to do right there was not a rail strike earlier this year but there was a lot of sort of furor in the rail industry mm-hmm. uh, it's still going on because of some legislation that Senator JD Vance is pushing. And part of that is rail work, unionized rail workers afraid that more technology innovation is going to require smaller crews. And mm-hmm. so one of the things they want is guaranteed crew sizes. It may only take three people to run your train, but we want a five-man crew anyway. So a, a lot of these things are unions trying to protect themselves from the disruption of innovation. From their standpoint, you can kind of see it. On the other hand, you know, from an, uh, generally speaking, if, you, if you're a free market type person, you think that that kind of disruption by innovation is a good thing for the economy not, and, and that our first instinct should not be to protect mm-hmm. workers and industries against disruption. And so we've got the, the disruption from technology. I'll mention a third thing, which is CEO pay. 
And when I hear the news organizations uh, talking to somebody from one of these striking groups, especially without like the United Auto Workers, they point out that the three uh, the three heads of Ford, GM and Stellantis, if I remember right, they make between 22 and 25, 26 million dollars a year. And it's real. I mean, they highlight this. Now, most of this is through stock options and things of that nature. Mm. So it's not necessarily you have a salary that large. But when you when you juxtapose it like that, even though I would argue United, the auto workers, the union workers get paid really well, especially when you include benefits and other things in Mm. there, uh, it looks like a stark contrast. And I you and I generally feel like if a company feels like they need they need to pay X number of dollars to a person to uh, to run a good company and they have very high salaries, generally that's the, the market and the company working that out. Even still, it just it's a stark contrast there that makes people, I think, more receptive to the union message. And one of the things we've been finding from the polling out there is Americans have been more receptive to the union message. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Obviously, again, as free market types, we don't think the government should get, should be getting involved in saying how much a company is allowed to pay somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, yeah, I mean, if you if you're looking at a situation where, you know, you're you're terrified every morning when you wake up that you may get laid off or something like that, but yet the CEO of your company made seventy five million dollars last year, you know. It, it, you, you can understand that frustration. And it's it's usually accompanied with the CEO saying, we just have to be very careful because we don't have the funds to be able to do to provide these new raises. Mm-hmm. And then when you do that and you say, well, didn't you make twenty two, twenty three million dollars last year? Yeah. And then that becomes a that becomes a real problem. And it's just there's a perception there that it it's not fair, whether it's true, whether that's a fair perception or not. It's one thing. But yeah, it, there's a perception issue there. Don't you think there's also um, a, a political angle to this, too? I mean, Joe Biden has made a big deal from day one about being the most labor friendly president in American history and right. all that kind of stuff. So maybe it shouldn't surprise us that some of these unions feel like this might be an opportune time. And I think there's two things going on. Let's look at the National Labor Relations Board. I think they are going to be very pro Biden. They typically have five members. I think they only have four. And I think only one is a uh, arguably a Republican, a Trump appointee on that right now. And so if you're unions and you feel like you've got the backing of the National Labor Relations Board, then you might feel like we can be a little more aggressive in our demands and in our practices and our striking and so forth, because we'll have the back of the NLRB to support us on that. Well, and in case of the UAW, you literally had the the president going and standing on the picket line with you. Yes. You know, uh, what, you know when I saw that, I mean, you know, my first thought, you know, Granted, I'm not a pro-union person, but my first thought is, why is the American president taking sides in a dispute between American workers and American businesses? Because he said, because Joe he, Biden said he's exactly, the most pro-union person and right. president in history. Right. And so he did that. And that would be my other one, not only the NLRB, but the White House. And so you get the impression that the strikers could engage in practices. You know, we saw this uh, it, with uh, the George Floyd uh, riots that went on when the, the Democrats seemed to just not pay a lot of attention to the riots that were going on because, you know, they were sympathetic to the to the rioters there and to the cause. Um, so if these uh, if if uh, Sean Fain and the um, uh, United Auto Workers become more aggressive, if they become uh, very 
critical or aggressive against people who might be coming in to do some of the work that might uh, that the uh, strikers are doing, you get the impression that the White House would probably just uh, turn a blind eye to that. Or or actively weigh in or on the part of the workers it. and the unions, right? Absolutely. So I think when you put all those things together, uh, union workers see this as a time when they can go and try to get maximum benefits, both because inflation has given them a good reason to do so, but also because technology and the, the threats to their jobs, but also because you've got a media and a president and a National Labor Relations Board, which is simply going, essentially going to have their back and allow them to get away with things that maybe a more conservative or Republican president might criticize or not weigh in on. Okay, well, this may not be the end of the strikes either, because there's a lot more unions out there. (laughs) There are more unions out there, and we may see the Airline Pilots Association Mm -hmm. go on strike. We may see some of a number of the uh, flight attendants go on strike. We may see more of them. Yep, just another painful reminder of the bad old days. It's a reminder of the 70s, where you had um, increased crime, you had high inflation, you had lots and lots of labor strife and strikes and all that sort of stuff. And it's uh, next thing you know, people will start wearing bell-bottom pants again. Well, thank you for joining us today. We would invite you to check out our website at IPI.org and sign up there if you'd like to receive notices of all of our new podcasts, new content, and upcoming events. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform? You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.